I couldn't talk anymore. I couldn't talk to people. I, I had been betrayed badly and I had made some big mistakes and my husband was really sick. I it was kind of like a breakdown where I just couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't put words to anything. And so I would sit down and the colors would come out and taking things and making them from just uh, whatever little scraps I had left from my life. That's what it, all my art was made out of scraps from my life. And I was just like, this is working. Like I would finally feel an unburdening, like an, uh, I would start to feel light again. I'd feel like myself again. I would feel like this is who I am. I, I got lost for a while in this big corporate success ladder that I was on. You know, I, I lost myself and I lost myself when I lost my husband and all of these little scraps of things were putting me back together. And it was just really an extraordinary, miraculous experience. Hi, this is Daphne and welcome to episode eight of the Creativity Habit podcast, conversations about art, creativity, and courage with artists, creatives, and makers. My guest today is an artist, teacher, writer, and entrepreneur. She began selling her paintings at 18 and started her first business at 25. By 30, she had 25 employees and five kids. A few years later, her husband suffered a brain injury that left him mentally ill for five years. During that period, she lost her house and her business. What's amazing is her ability to come back. And now, at 46 years old, she runs Brave Girls Club, an online university that serves thousands of women around the world, holds workshops and teaches courses internationally, and has a thriving, beautiful family. She is Melody Ross, and you can find her over at bravegirlsclub.com. In this interview, we dive deep into some very personal parts of Melody's life. We talk about grief and loss and how art can save you and bring you back home. We talk about sisterhood, the secret to following your dream, even when you have no money, time, or resources, and how to use art to heal even the most broken parts of life. May you enjoy this conversation and may it inspire you to make your thing and change your world. Welcome, Melody, to the Creativity Habit Podcast. It's wonderful to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Uh, the way I begin every interview is with your creativity story. How creativity showed up for you as a kid? Oh, man, I, it was early. It's so funny because I have eight brothers and sisters, and I was kind of born right smack in the middle, and my parents named me Melody. And my parents and um, almost all my siblings are musicians. And so it's funny because I got that name, but I didn't have a desire to pursue anything musical. <laughs> I always wanted to paint or make something. And I was constantly making something. And when I was in kindergarten, that was the first time I had exposure to art supplies. And I just came alive. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I know what I am now. I'm not a musician. I'm an artist. So it was super, super, super early, maybe five years old. Wow. When I was, that's what I wanted to do. So it was, it took the art supplies because everybody else in the family was a musician. So that's what you saw reflected back. Yeah. And my mom was super, super neat. And so there were, you know, there wasn't a lot of st extra stuff around the house and definitely not messy things, you know? And so when I was exposed to all that stuff, I just, I just went crazy. And then I um, started making everything into an art supply. I would just find things and I would turn them into something else. I, I really learned to be resourceful that way. And we're going to get into a lot of the different things that you do because there are so many. It's yeah. amazing. So <laughs> we'll start with how creativity is showing up for you now. I'm really fortunate days because I have, I, I have art retreats and 
So I have a big art barn that's full of every art supply imaginable. And then I also have a studio in town. And so now I have every art supply I could ever want. And I still have the desire to go to thrift stores and junk shops and find unusual things and make them into something else. That's still my favorite thing to do. But um, my creativity has changed a little bit over the years in that after a really bad tragedy in our family about 12 years ago, I just have this insatiable desire to help people who are going through really hard things. And so usually almost every day I'm trying to come up with a creative solution to help somebody figure something out in life, you know, some kind of a really hard situation. So I I write a lot of curriculums and I write little books and I make art that is kind of just a translation of the message that I'm trying to get across. And so that wasn't something that was an early desire, but it has turned into like almost an insatiable desire. Like everything has to have a message because there's so much pain in the world. And I just, after going through so much pain myself, I just see it everywhere. And so I, like I said, every day I'm trying to come up with a solution to help somebody go through something or help myself go through something through creativity. And so when you're coming up with solutions, are they solutions like, okay, here, there's this person in my life and she's going through this or he's dealing with this, or is it just, I have a sense that there's someone out there who's going through this and I want to come up with a solution for that? Well, both, but probably mostly because we have so much access to just kind of the global pulse of, you know, how people are feeling. And that's why I have to, I have to be so careful with social media because I, I love psychology and sociology and just um, just the whole human condition is so fascinating and important to me that I'll just I'll go and I'll read comments for for hours and hours and hours on everything. And, and I kind of get a, a feel for like, how are people feeling about this? What are they thinking about this? And I'll create like a course about that. But it also comes just from I'm one of those people where everybody tells me their life story and everybody you know comes to me. A lot of people come to me when they're going through a hard thing because they know I've been through some hard things. And so I ask a lot of questions and try to figure out like, what's the root of this? And so it comes from both. It comes from personal relationships and then just kind of looking at what people are talking about, what they're worried about, what they're posting about. I really try to keep track of that. Even when I'm in the store, I'll talk to people or I'll just kind of watch people, watch what they're buying, watch what they're, you know, it's just super fascinating to me. So we're going to backtrack a little to when you were 18 and you began selling your painted works. I want to know what gave you the courage at 18 years old to start selling your paintings? Well, I, I have always been so gutsy. And I I don't really even think I thought it was that I just I did I wasn't born with that thing inside that tells you, you're not allowed to do this. I never have been. And it's helped me so much in my life. It's also got me in a ton of trouble because there's rules that I didn't know exist and things like that. But I really wanted to buy something for my husband. That's really the reason I started to um, paint and sell paintings. Okay, so I got married when I was 18. I, I, I guess I need to tell you that. So I was married. I was married right after high school madly in love with this guy who I'm still married to and still madly in love with. And I just wanted to buy him things. And so we didn't have very much money. And so I would, I would do kind of things on the sly and surprise him with gifts. And that's really what um, gave me the courage, I guess you could say to sell things. But my dad was an entrepreneur. And so, you know, like if you want to do something, you just go do it. I never had to overcome any fear about it or anything like that. I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this. And then I'm going to see if anybody wants to buy it. I, I started going to craft bazaars and stuff like that. And, and it was, I did really well because I, like I said, I was super resourceful and I just used materials that I could find 
lots of times just for free. And so people would see things they've ne- they'd never seen before. There wasn't, I wasn't making things that everybody else was making. I was making whatever I could make out of what I could find. What's interesting for me about that is it really shows how there is nothing between you and doing what you want to do except the stuff in your head. Because like you said, you didn't have that message that you can't do it. You, so yeah. you just did it. Like, yeah. and it wasn't that you had to take this course or do this. Like literally you just did it and it happened. Well, it's funny because the whole time I was growing up, like I said, when I was in kindergarten, I decided I wanted to be an artist. So I always had this dream that I was going to go to art school. I was going to move to some big city. I'd never even been anywhere. I lived in Idaho my whole life. I had never even been on an airplane until I was 22 years old. But I had this big dream in my head. I'm going to move to New York City and I'm going to be an artist. And I wasn't going to get married till I was 30 or 35. But then I met this guy and every all my all my plans just kind of went out the window because I, he was so incredible like like someone I'd never met and he wanted to help me make my dreams come true and so I still had planned on going to art school after that and then we had a honeymoon baby and so then we were like okay let's just have our kids really young and then I can go to art school when I'm done like you know when I'm 30 or whatever well by the time I was 30 I had a big international business selling my art so I just I just (laughs) I was just like I'm gonna do this while I'm waiting to go to art school and then I I never did go I love it because it, it it's just a reminder, a really important reminder. Just do it. Just do, do it. it. Yeah. So the business you mentioned was Chatterbox. That's what you yep. started at 25. It was a worldwide product design and publishing business. You'd authored and published 15 books, manufactured yeah. and sold thousands of products. This is at 25 years old. Yeah. Before I was 30, I did all that. Yeah, we had went, done a lot in just in the first couple of years. And yeah, it's all it's from crazy. just doing it. I mean, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And my husband's super averse to debt. And so we actually did it all debt free too. We would just, we would sell some stuff and then we would do another project with that money. And then we, you know, we would go sell more stuff. And I think one of the things that was really worked in our favor was just how young we were and how ambitious and also kind of innocent we were. We would go to these big, huge trade shows in big cities and people would just be, like, who are these two farm kids from Idaho, you know, and everybody was kind of rooting for us and helping us along those first few years. And it just exploded into this huge company within a couple of years. One of the things that I heard you say in an interview was my biggest motivation in life is you can't do that. Yeah. Where's that come from? What's the story around that? I have this family of super intellectual musician. They're very introverted. And then I was born pretty extroverted. And, you know, I'm a good student and I love to study, but I was definitely not the valedictorian like my siblings. I think early on, I was kind of told, you know, you're not allowed to do that. And I, or you can't do that or whatever. And I would be like, I already did it. Or just watch <laughs> this game sort of like, Almost, it wasn't out of rebellion. It was more like, you guys, watch. Like, you can do this. You can. Like, I just did it. What, look, check this out, you know? I don't know. I think we're just born, born with personality traits. That's just a, a one that I've always had from my earliest memories. How did that affect your siblings? Well, my little brother, who's only 14 months younger than me, everybody thought we were twins. He's actually a physicist. And he was always trying to keep me out of trouble all the time. Like he was worried about me all the time. He's super rule keeper. 
So I think for like for him, he was it seems like he was just always worried that I was going to get myself in trouble or I would, that's how he handled it. And then my other sibling, like my older siblings find it comical. Everybody in the family has, you know, you know how it is. Everyone has a different personality and they all have different things. But I think for me, everybody was always <laughs> probably thinking, man, she she's going to get in trouble because she just keeps doing all this stuff. You know, she keeps doing all this stuff. So I think f- for them, from what I can tell, they were just a little bit watching and going, are you allowed to just go do whatever you want like that? And I'm curious, because you got so much done in such a short period of time and you were a young mother, like, are you very organized or do you have things in place? Like, how is it that you were able to create so much? Because I was a young mother and I was not starting an international well, business. One of the things I tell young moms that I know now is that I was not, I didn't have children in the age of mommy blogging. So there was no expectation of all this hardcore stuff that you, all of these standards that you put yourself up to all the time of creating this perfect childhood for your children. I was a super intuitive mom and a really fun mom and a very involved mom. And my kids were involved in every single thing we did. Definitely not organized, but incredibly intuitive. Just kind of like, this is what this child needs. This is what this child needs. I also have a really big family. So I had a ton of help when I had to travel and stuff. They were watched by their um, older cousins or their aunts or their grandparents, you know, so we had a big, huge uh, support system around us where my kids were just loved by so many incredible adults all the time. And I married my polar opposite, someone who's completely analytical, organized, um, methodical. And so he really was the one who made sure everything stayed organized and stuff like that. And that's where our tragedy happened because I lost him for a while. I didn't realize how much I leaned on his organization and his protection and his thinking through things that I, I just kind of was really carefree about, I guess. Yeah. We're going to get into that in a little bit. I, I wanted to ask first one thing that I had read that you wrote, which is interesting because you said at five, you knew you wanted to be an artist. And then I read in a piece that it took you well into your 30s to call yourself an artist. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I never called myself an artist. I, Why do you think I, that? I thought, I thought I had to go to art school. So I always had this thing. Well, as soon as, you know, I'm like I make art and I, I make stuff all the time. But an artist is someone like with an art degree or somebody who has, you know, paintings in museums and things like that. And it was really, really hard. I guess I had that sort of like fraud complex where I I remember I was at a licensing show in New York at the Javits Center. I was at the New York stationery show when I was in my early 30s. And all these art students kept coming through and I had this amazing booth that I totally created by myself. And they kept going, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. I've never seen anything like this. What art school did you go to? And I just kept going, I did. I haven't gone to art school yet. I didn't go to art school. And they were like, what? And then they were like, that's awesome that you did this and you didn't even go to art school. So then, and, and they're like, you're totally an, an incredible artist. And I think after that, I was like, oh my gosh, I maybe I am already an artist. You know, maybe it's okay that I start calling myself an artist. But it took me a really long time to be able to do that and feel okay about it. Did anything shift for you when you did start to call yourself an artist? I started behaving like an artist. Well, it, it's so funny because I think this happens a lot in life. I I would say it and then I and then to the people close to my life I would sort of defend myself around it. I would think I'd have to defend myself when I started to say it. And they would just sort of go, "Well, yeah, of course you're an artist. You've always been an artist." It was like 
everybody knew but me. Yeah. And when you did really start to claim it, what what did shift for you internally? I think I, I set myself free from feeling like I can do this and this and this, even if I don't ever make it to art school. Also, just with the incredible availability of courses on the internet and books, you know, I started thinking I could, I could give myself a pretty good education if I just put my mind to learning straight from other artists and books and courses and things like that. So it's just like what we talked about at the beginning. It's all, it's all the stuff in your head. I just started behaving like I am an artist, so I can, I, I don't have to uh, prove anything. I stopped trying to prove myself. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Which is really big. Yeah, now, Brave Girls, and we'll get into that, is something that you got the idea for when you were going through this rough time that you just alluded to with your husband, because, and this is from something you had written, your husband of 14 years had suffered a severe brain injury and as a result struggled with mental illness for five years, during which time you lost your house, your business, and at times thought you might lose your marriage as well. How did you conceive of brave girls in the midst of so much pain and struggle? Probably the best work I've ever done is when I finally got desperate enough to create something that I needed. I would I would look and look and look for something that I needed so much and I couldn't find it. And so I would create it. And that's where Brave Girls came from because I was looking for a support group. I was looking for something somewhere where somebody could tell me, like, what am I supposed to do now? What? How, how do I do this? And instead, like, the brain injury support group kind of told me, you know, I don't know that you would be welcomed here because your husband's, you know, not in a coma. He's talking. You know, I feel like people would be resentful. And I was like, well, where am I supposed to go? And I, you know, I was losing my business and, you know, people were coming up with all sorts of theories about why I lost my business. And so I was, oh, it was just awful. There was so much gossip and everything around that. I didn't feel like I could trust anybody. And I also kind of like had to choose, am I going to worry about my business or about my husband? And so there really wasn't a place where I felt like I could go, where I wasn't judged, where I could just figure things out for myself, where I could rest where I could be super weak and cry and scream and say, I don't know what I'm doing because I had to pretend like I knew what I was doing because I had these five children that needed a parent that was solid and I had about 25 employees that needed the same. And I, I, I just always had to put on this really brave face and I needed somewhere to go where I could just be really sad and really weak and really confused and have, you know, just have a place where I can cry and then figure things out, like be really competent. So with, along with my sister started thinking through like, what would that look like if, if, if there was a place like that, what would that look like? And that's, that's what we started to create in the middle of all of that, that horrible decade ish. <laughs> yeah. And that's what you've created is yeah. this club for thousands of women around the yeah. world, thousands and thousands of women. Staying in that time, though, for a little longer, uh, because I read this piece and it was so beautiful, the things that you had written on it. So I really wanted to bring them up and, and dive into them a little bit. Because you talked about turning to art as a lifeboat. You said you wrote and wrote and wrote. And then, this is in quotes, there were so many days when my words failed me, when my feelings were too afraid of their hugeness that they would not come out and explain themselves to me, which I loved that phrasing. So I painted and I painted and painted and I sculpted. I felt as if an enormous explosion blew my life apart and also my limbs with an arm over there, a foot over there, my heart over there, all trying desperately to find each other. Art made me whole again. So I wanted to hear more about this 
process of how you turned to art and how it made you whole again? Well, gosh, I haven't heard that writing for a long time. That choked me up. I don't even know where you found that. It was an article you had written, and I yeah, had, yeah. I remember. Um, I remember being there. You know, it wasn't very long ago. I think one of the things that happened was after Chatterbox had grown really big, I started to manage an art department. I had about five artists that worked for me, and so. I was managing that, especially after my husband's sickness, and then I was managing the whole company, and I wasn't making art for a really long time, like five years probably. I was just managing people that were making art. And um, after we were losing our business and lost our business, I had not made anything in so long that I really didn't even have any supplies. I didn't have anything. I, you know, we were doing everything on computers at that time and stuff. So I just went and started doing what I did when I was little. I, you know, we were losing our money. We were losing everything. So I didn't have a lot of money. I just started gathering stuff and I started making collages out of our junk mail mostly and out of paper towels and anything with texture and fabric, like old clothes and old pages from books because I owned a paper company I had a ton of beautiful paper so I had that and I just started pasting things down into collages like pieces from a bankruptcy notice or pieces from a book that would explain you know what's going on with my husband's brain injury um a lot of them were self-portrait like one of them I that's still hanging on my wall right now um is of a, a woman walking up a path with a couple of suitcases in her hands and they're made out of paper towels and she's made out of just all this junk mail and she's just kind of going she's you know she's wearing these funky clothes and she's heading off like she's out of here and that's that's exactly how I felt I would put all sorts of collages together like that and like I said in what you just read there was a time when I just almost went mute like I couldn't I couldn't talk anymore. I couldn't talk to people. I I had been betrayed badly and I had made some big mistakes and my husband was really sick. I was kind of like a breakdown where I just couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't put words to anything. And so I would sit down and just the colors would come out and just, and taking things and making them from just whatever, uh, whatever little scraps I had left from my life. That's what all my art was made out of scraps from my life And I was just like, this is working. Like I would finally feel an unburdening, like uh, I would start to feel light again. I'd feel like myself again. I would feel like this is who I am. I I got lost for a while in this big corporate uh, success ladder that I was on. You know, I I lost myself and I lost myself when I lost my husband. And all, all of these little scraps of things were putting me back together. And it was just really an extraordinary, miraculous experience. And that's the biggest part of what we do at our retreats is we make collages like that. Yeah. So it started when you were five and you said, oh my God, this is it. And then it's what you came back to in the same way. Like, this is it. This is what is, as you said, this is what's making you whole again. And another piece of that, which was really fascinating to me, you said, my art showed me where all the pieces of me were. Art showed me which pieces to keep and which ones I could do without Art showed me that I could create new pieces and that it was okay that I would never be the same person that I was before all those things happened. Art showed me. That is so beautiful. And when I read that, the obvious questions that came up were like, how did art show you where all the pieces of you were and just how and which ones to keep and which ones to do without? I probably wrote that 10 years ago and it feels 
even truer than when I wrote it. It feels even truer today. Like I like, oh my gosh, my heart's swelling out of my chest. You're gonna have to tell me where that article is because I haven't okay. read it in such a time. But it feels truer and bigger than when I wrote it. Like that feeling and that truth has just grown. And what I've learned since then is that when we get to a place, and it's not collaging for everybody. For some people, it's cooking or gardening or even mothering or um, exercising or walking in nature, whatever, you go to this place of like communion with everything good and true, every beautiful particle of everything. You go into this totally different zone and you relax and you can actually hear yourself. And I think that's how it put me back together because I would sit down and I would go into this zone of timelessness and, you know, no stress, like, and I would just hear myself. And it was like myself was talking to me through the pieces and through like putting a puzzle together. It's like, hey, put that puzzle piece there and you're going to see, you know, what this picture is making. And and I, the only way that I can get there and it's still like this for me is when I just turn on some music and I go into that zone. And I think that's what I try to create the most for people is just this memory, um, remembrance, because I really believe everybody knows this um, on a really deep level from the time they were children, that you can connect to this really amazing flow of truth for yourself that's just for you, that is you, if you get quiet enough. And if you get into this place where I was born to do this, and like I said, for some people, it's dancing, for some people, it's cooking, whatever it is, whatever place that makes you feel like you're in communion with everything true, everything real, everything authentic, every bit of creation and, and life, you know, just, you just go into this zone. And that's, that's where I try to get to um, as often as I can. And I try to help other people get there. Those the, that's why I love to have retreats because we try to create that fertile soil where people can go in that place. Okay. So that brings me to something else that you had written. And this is, I don't actually usually quote this many uh, articles, but there were so many things that you had written where there was, they were just full of wisdom and you want to send me all these this, okay that was a painful time in my life that I um probably after I wrote those things I um put them put them away and yeah. didn't re it's it's amazing to be able to hear this and not be in excruciating pain like yes. to be on the other side of this and hear this from you that I, I feel like I'm in this weird moment in time right now so thank you yeah okay the okay question. so the next piece because you were just talking about getting quiet and accessing the part that knows and you had written this piece about your soul and you said my soul and I'm assuming this was around the same same period of time my soul went somewhere for a while I don't know when it happened or how it happened but I do know that much of it had to do with the assumption that I should listen closely to what others had to say about how I should be living my life what my goals should be how I should spend my time and who I should spend it with Somewhere in there, I started to do that, and slowly, slowly, my soul started to to starve. So you used art to get back to that quiet place that showed you what pieces to keep, what pieces to get rid of, who you really are. And a lot, I mean, I don't know anybody who hasn't struggled with this at some point in another, of, of learning how to listen to the voice within as opposed yeah. to all the voices out there that can deeply hinder our creativity when we really tune in just to the voices out there and our ability to make art, make our thing. So how do you suggest we begin 
to break free of these rules. And I know you just talked about your own personal process and I know you then take people through it. So how do, how do you begin to take people through that process of learning to listen to themselves? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is really make a commitment with yourself that I'm okay if when I figure this out and I get to the some really good answers, I'm going to be okay that it doesn't look like how other people live their lives. I'm going to be okay with that because I think we want to fit in and we we want people to, to see us that we're valuable and that we are successful, we're contributing, whatever. We're, try, we're often trying to prove, prove that to everybody. And it's really interesting, at least for me, when you really start listening to yourself, how simple your life is yearning to be. Like it doesn't want to be climbing ladders and chasing and running from and rushing and rushing and rushing. So I think the first thing you have to do is go, okay, if I get some answers I wasn't expecting and they feel really true for me, I'm going to be okay with that. And I'm going to, and I'm going to just keep getting more and more quiet. This is a really hard time to live in, especially like for our generation, because we lived half of our life with no technology. And now we're living the second half of our life with all of this technology. So I did not have access to everybody's opinions when I first started because there wasn't social media then. Now I have access to everybody's opinions. And on the same day, in the same 10 minutes, I could go get completely opposing opinions about everything I'm doing in my life. Someone could say, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And someone could say, you're ruining the earth or you're ruining your life or you're ruining your children or you're ruining whatever. You're going to hear opposite opinions. So you really have to be okay and start to trust yourself. Like, I know what's best for me. There is nobody on this earth, no matter what degrees they have or how much, much experience they have or anything that knows me better than I know myself. There's nobody that knows me better than I know myself. And so I just have to remember that and trust myself. It's almost like in the midst of all the opportunity that we have with the global world that we now live in, that at the same time, we need to consciously work to make our world a lot smaller again. Yes, yes, please, please, please. <laughs> it's diluted. I can't buy into the, into the belief that you can have everything and do everything. I, I think you can a little bit, but you, you'll suffer for it. You, ha- you just have to do the things that matter the most to you. And also remember you have other seasons in your life. You know, when my children were small, I, I, I couldn't do the same things I do today, but now my children are almost all adults. And so I, there are things that I can do that are different. I'm in a different season in my life. We have to remember that too, that just cause you have a great idea right now and it doesn't feel like it's going to be able to happen. There might be a season in your life later on that it can happen and you can start preparing for it right now, but don't, don't do nothing, do something else that does work for the season of your life that you're in right now. Yeah. And I was thinking about how, when you had no money and even now when you're in a good position and you have all the retreats and all the art supplies you could ever want, that you're, you're still really resourceful. So when you had nothing or very, very little, you would make your art out of the scraps and the, and the junk mail and all of these pieces. So in the sense of whatever season you're in, you can, we have different seasons and we pursue different things at different seasons, regardless of the season, you can still be gathering the little pieces that you might use later on and gathering up the scraps and using whatever, like if you're a mom of young kids, maybe you just have a little bit of time and it's like gathering the time, like you would the scraps and you just use it in the same way to 
come back to who you are. So it's okay to just stuff that you don't want anymore too, that you've been gathering for years and years. It's like, that was another thing I had to learn is sometimes your dreams have an expiration date and that's okay. They're perishable a little bit. Probably some of the most painful experiences in my life in the last few years has been, gosh, this is making me choke up, going to the storage unit where we took all of our stuff when we lost our business and our home and I hadn't revisited it. And I, my husband was organizing everything and he has everything super organized in all these clear bins and they're stacked all the way up to the ceiling in the storage unit and he got all of it organized and I went in there and it just hit me like boom like oh my gosh like I forgot about all this stuff because I just packed we had it's like we had to just pack up and run and and go so I I felt like I needed to sort of grieve all those things but then I kept things because I thought this dream isn't finished yet I have to keep it you know where it's at maybe it's like 50% done it's in this bin And I had to look at it and go, you know what? It's done. It's past its time. So either I have to make this into something else or I have to give this to somebody else who this would be useful for. So that's been something I've had to learn too is sometimes we can let go. We can let go of dreams that we used to have and scraps that we used to have and somebody else can use them or they can become compost or whatever. We don't have to hold on to every single thing, especially if it's keeping us from doing what we want to do right now. Yeah, exactly like what you said with the art, how the art showed you which pieces to keep and which ones you could do without. And it's the same in your quote about learning how to, you know, listen closely to yourself and letting go of all the things that weren't serving you that other people had told you that other people had said you should or shouldn't do letting go of all of that. And knowing I can keep what serves me and I can let go of what's not serving me and that I have the knowing and the trust to make that decision for myself. And sometimes that's relationships and that's really hard things. It's sometimes people and all, all you know, life is not easy. It's just, it just isn't. And, but it's wonderful and it's amazing. We're so lucky that we get to do all this stuff, but it's okay that there's parts that are really painful. It just is. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's just part of life, especially when you're passionate and you love and you love one of the byproducts of love is pain because it's just part of it. <laughs> yeah. And it's really, that's that all that love and all the passion is where Brave Girls Club was born, uh, born out of. And I want to talk now, I want to move into this idea of bravery and of the Brave Girls Club. You had said in an interview that I'm guessing was about, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, but you said, I'm 41 years old now and I have, and I know for a fact because I've lived with myself every single one of these years I've been alive, that I am a very scared person. I'm nervous about things. I worry. I am very scared, but I do it anyway. I am brave because I am afraid, and I do it anyway. So talk to me a little more about that kind of bravery. Well, my mom's a worry wart that passed on to me, and I also have an incredible imagination. So I can I can dream up all the 100 things that are going to happen tomorrow that are never going to happen. But I, you know, I, I get scared of them. But then on the flip side, it's just like this weird scale. Like I have all these things I'm scared of, but then there's all these things I want to do so badly, and I want to experience, and I want to see, and I want to feel and taste and touch and create. That has to always be the thing that I turn my face toward. That doesn't mean the fears are gone. It just means I don't have my face turned toward them. I know they're there. Sometimes they're screaming really loud. But if I, as long as I keep my face turned towards the things that I want and that I, my heart is just yearning for, then 
once I get in the flow, I can't hear the fears anymore. But it's just that initial like, okay, I know you're there. I know you're there, but this is here too. And I'm going to choose this. I'm going to choose this right now. I know you're there fears. And as I've gotten older, so I'm, that was five years ago. I'm 46 now. I trust that the fears are always going to be there, but I don't trust the fears anymore because I have the, of probably 99% of the things that I've dreamed up to be afraid of never happened. And I am so equipped to know exactly what to do if something bad does happen. So I always think through, okay, even if that did happen, I would do this and I'm totally, I'm totally equipped to handle that. So I, so I think through it and I don't let it stop me from doing everything I want to do. I've also lived through tons of my worst fears, tons of them, just from all the bad things that have happened. So I just always think, geez, man, I, I've already lived through some really crappy stuff. So I know how to do that. Who cares? I'm not going to let this hold me back. I love that you said, I, I trust that the fears will always be there, but I don't trust the fears anymore. I don't trust them anymore. I don't trust what they're saying. And then, yeah. so you hear them, you see they're there and you think through it. Like you're like, okay, if this happens, then I'll do this. And if that happens, I'll do this. And then what you said was you turn towards in the direction of your heart and you yes. just go there. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about this knowing between, I think I'm turning towards the direction of what I should do. Like you feel scared and you think, oh, maybe I should do that because I'm scared, but it's hard to tell. Is this my mind telling me or is it my heart? Well, I studied that because I needed to know when my life fell apart, like what's true and what's not true. So I really started to study, like, what does truth feel like? What does peace feel like? And I, I really, really a lot rely a lot on my feelings, on my gut, my gut, my instincts, not, I don't know if it's my emotions or my feelings, but it's usually just like, what does this feel like? And then I have this huge series of questions. I even have this little set of cards that, that we made into a product called the decision maker. And there's about 36 questions in there. And I have just trained myself to ask myself those questions, questions like, am I choosing this from a place of fear or from a, you know, from a place of truth? Am I, will I regret this in five years? Would I, would I be ashamed to tell anybody about this decision? If I made it anybody that I love, would this hurt anybody that I love? Would I be proud of young people if they followed in my path, if I made this decision? So I really think through because I've made really big mistakes before and I know the consequences of really big mistakes. I think through the consequences of everything. I think through what truth and peace feel like. And for me, that feels like encouragement, growth, becoming, possibility. For me, peace and truth don't feel like condemnation or terror or stuckness. Like I really believe we ha we kind of have an epidemic of stuckness in our society and we're not meant to do that. We're meant to be constantly progressing and moving forward and in some way in our life. And so I always think, how can I move forward? How can I move forward? Just even in one tiny little place in my life, how can I move forward just a little bit? How can I wiggle, wiggle around and get, you know, get my life moving just a little bit, even if it's cleaning out one square foot of my closet, that's like some kind of progress when I'm feeling stuck. So always thinking about what is the truth feel like? And what does peace feel like? And I'm not talking about happiness, because happiness is a very tricky 
seductive drug. It's different than joy. Happiness is pleasure sometimes that maybe lasts for 30 seconds. And joy is making a decision that really aligns with who you are that you're going to be proud of tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. That's where you get your joy from and from overcoming. So we keep getting taught that happiness is the thing we should seek. Happiness is also a byproduct of making good decisions, but it's a joyful kind of happiness, not like this pleasure, temporary sort of happiness that you might might ruin your life and you regret tomorrow. So I'm just constantly weighing all those things because I don't ever want to feel again like I used to feel. I, did, I never, ever want to feel like that again. And I trust that you won't because one of the things that you do so, and you, and this is what you said you created a whole product around is asking all these questions. So you're yeah. always open, always asking and then that leaves space for the answers to show up. Yeah, um, that's a, a tool I try to use in all my relationships. When people ask me, like, what should I do? I ask them questions. I, I never want to tell people what they should do. I, but I really like to ask them the same questions that I ask myself. Because I know we all have the answers inside of us if we just ask ourselves the right questions. And if we're patient enough, like you said, to listen for the answers to come. And we have a willingness for different answers than we thought were the right answers. Like you really have to be willing to go, okay, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, but I think this is the right thing. Yeah. Like you can't so set on a certain outcome that you totally miss the best outcome. Right. You can't ask the question looking for a specific answer. Yeah. It's disappointment then. It's interesting because it's the same with interviewing. It's like if I ask you a question and I'm looking for you to answer in a specific way, I will get stuck all the time because you're going to answer in whatever way you answer. So there's a real openness to whatever you share. And it's exactly, you're saying it's exactly the same with life. It's that same openness and willingness to just go with wherever the answer leads you. Isn't that amazing and beautiful though? Like if you can stop being scared of that, it's the most incredible experience every day. It's kind of like, I wonder what's gonna happen today. So it makes life just a really amazing adventure if you don't get caught up in fear and in disappointment because you had a certain expectation. You can just go, wow, that I was not expecting that <laughs> like that before. That's amazing, you know. Well, we're coming a little bit towards the end here, but I want to ask a little bit about Brave Girls Club. One of the things that I've heard you ask, and I thought it was a great question, and I know this is a big part of Brave Girls Club, being that it was created for women, just to help them, as you say, create the lives that they want to live through art and life skills, combining art with life skills. One of the questions you've asked is how can, as sisters all around the world, how can we be good sisters to each other? So how do you see that we can be good sisters to each other? Well, first of all, you, we have to know each other. We have to be okay with ourselves, enough enough okay with ourselves to let people really know us. And then we, we have to understand that we can't know somebody unless we make the effort to know them. We can think we know somebody, but we really have to know them. And then we have to be okay if they're completely different than we are. You know what I mean? If they have different beliefs, if they have different ways. I, I love this so much because I've seen it happen so many times because of the retreats that we have and all sorts of things that we do where we gather all sorts of different everything, different culture, different religion, different po political persuasion, different every you know socioeconomic background, everything. We get all these kinds of different women in one room. They don't know anything about each other. And if we just talk about soul stuff, none of that stuff even comes up. So by the time it does come up, they're already so in love with each other's souls that they don't care about their differences. And so that's the biggest thing is like get to know people, like ask them questions that don't have anything to do with 
anything that can make you guys different. Ask them about what makes them laugh and what they dream about and what they think about when they're, you know, walking through a beautiful garden or forest and, you know, just like try to get, try to find some things that really make you tie together in on a soul level. And then this human experience part that's so complex and complicated and open to so much misinterpretation and really, really hard um, misunderstandings, it just won't matter. It'll just be like, well, I already know this person. I know their soul. And so I don't, I don't care about, you know, how they vote or whatever that. So that's, that's the way that I like to do it. (laughs) I, I, that's great. It's really great because it's exactly, it's what we need and not just what we need in today's world of craziness and um, busyness and all of that, but what we need individually, heart to heart, soul to soul. I mean, it's what we need to feel that joy. That's a big piece of the joy is feeling connected to one another that way. And so to just approach the beginning of a relationship from that place of let's not even go to all the complicated human stuff. Let's go to what connects us as women, as people. It works too. I've seen it work thousands of times. Yes. So before (laughs) I go into the last part of this interview, there's a few things I do at the end of every interview. But before I do that, is there anything about art, about life, about brave girls, anything that you haven't had the chance to say yet? Well, this year we have a big symposium in the summer and, um, this year we're announcing that we're changing the name of our business to, we're having a big umbrella business that will have brave girls as part of it to brave living because a lot of my curriculums that I've written, a lot of women have shared it with the men and the boys in their life and it's had a tremendous impact. And we started last year having our first men's retreats that my husband teaches and he teaches the same curriculum that I teach. And so we are um, expanding our business and all of our offerings to our whole human family. And so I'm super excited about that. So Brave Girls Club will just be a part of that. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the thing, the two things I do at the end, one of them is I like to take a minute to just appreciate you, to appreciate my guests and appreciate you, Melody. Uh, Right before I do that, I want to say that for now – the place to learn more about all the work that Melody's doing and Melody, along with your sister that the two of you guys are creating is and um, is bravegirlsclub.com. And I imagine that name will change. That'd be brave-living.com. Okay. So for now it's bravegirlsclub.com and it will change to brave-living.com this summer. So just to take a minute to appreciate you, so you, you have so much spirit. There's so much energy. You can just feel how alive you are and ready to go in your work to help heal the planet. It's, I feel like that's what you're about, is you're here to help heal the planet. And you do it individual by individual. You do it art piece by art piece. And then you do it globally, internationally by working with thousands of people around the world, online, in person. And that is so incredible. So thank you for carrying this work through years of challenge and struggle and joy and happiness to stay true to this path you're on of helping heal each and every one of us. Daphne, that. Those were some of the most beautiful, kind words anyone's ever spoken to me. Thank you so much. 
You're perceiving and understanding what I'm trying to do, really. I just, you know, after you suffer a lot then and you heal, the next step is you just can't stand to see other people suffer. And, and it makes for a great life, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. So the last question that I ask is, as part of the creativity habit, which is about everybody's creative, everyone's an artist, everyone has something to make. Why do you think it is so important that each one of us make our thing? Well, first of all, we are healed. I really believe that beauty and um, creativity are a medicine, not just for ourselves, but for others. And so we need to be able to heal through. I feel like it's a um, human um, need to, to be creative for everybody, not, not just some people for everybody. So I feel like we're a part of us is really getting sick when it's not able to express itself in that way. But also just, I want you to think about your favorite song, your favorite painting, your favorite recipe, and somebody was brave enough to make that and then share it. And you have to think about if you don't do that, so many people are going to miss out on their favorite thing. Your thing might be someone's favorite thing, and it will be the thing that speaks to them, that is the missing puzzle piece in what they've been looking for, that's the cure to what's ailing them, whatever. You you cannot understand the power of you sharing, sharing your creativity. And, and even if you never share it, what it will do for your own life. Everybody, not just people who went to art school. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody alive. Perfect. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Melody. Thank you. This was the best. I'll never forget this interview. You really, you really made me remember some things that I, I had forgotten. <laughs>